Welcome back into the great Scott show, the great sports callers open think tank from the ESPN 1420 studios from Roofing, Louisiana. I am Scott Prather and joining me now is Saints lead writer and reporter for Saints News at Sports Illustrated, John Hendricks at John J. Hendricks on Twitter. And John, as somebody that has followed the Saints your entire life, what I mean, from a regular season victory standpoint, that one on Sunday night, man. I mean, where does that one rank? <laughs> Look, I, I think in recent minutes, definitely top ten. But you know, I, I think for Saints fans, maybe top five, just because of who it was. You know, beating, beating the brakes off of Tom Brady like that. But Look, you know, I, I think uh, you look at some of these victories, and you know, I, I talked about it um, after the game. I don't think I've, I've recalled a performance like that since last season against the Panthers in that road game. And I know a lot of people were talking about Buffalo when they went in and dominated, but you know, look, every now and then you get a, a Sean Payton win like that. They, they just absolutely come out and show their true potential. And you know, as a Saints fan, it was a, a refreshing thought to not be able to have to worry and go into cardiac mode when it's, you know, with a three-point lead or anything like that. But, look, it was a, a good feeling and definitely top ten for me. From an enjoyment standpoint for fans, like I, you enjoy the victory of the close games afterwards, but you're not really enjoying it in the moment. I mean, you're, you know, if you're a fan, you're stressed. Three-point win over Chicago, three-point win over the Panthers, you know, three-point win over the Chargers. Two of those three were overtime games. So, from an enjoyment standpoint, I think in 06 when the Saints won at Dallas, 42-17, to and, you know, and, and then in 09 against the Patriots, the Super Bowl season where they just completely put it on them, both games also in primetime, but both of those games also, John, Saints were at a very different place as a franchise. I mean, they never won a Super Bowl before, and they I think they only had, you know, two playoff wins to their name in, in their entire history at that point. A lot different now here 11 years later, but in those two wins, you know, the Saints were not the betting favorite. Uh, they might have been a slight favorite in the 09 game, but many of the analysts and pundits were not picking them. Uh, everyone, you know, fans have been sharing for days how every analyst picked the Bucks. So I think it was, like you said, the opponent, the situation, prime time, and just the degree of beatdown that unfolded, all with, you know, many people on the outside not thinking they would even win the game it's it's right up there in terms of regular season wins, right up there near the top. I think it's got to be. Yeah, look, I mean, again, you look back at, uh, again, over the years with Sean Payton uh, as head coach, and you talked about the Dallas game. I, again, I remember that Buffalo game. It's just, I remember even the Bengals game, uh, just that was just where they come out and just absolutely manhandle their opponents. And again, I think the feeling is, is a couple different reasons, you know, is, is the fact that, you know, nobody picked the Saints uh, to win this game, right? It was all about the Bucks. It was all about the offensive weapons. But the, they, you know, kind of dismissed the fact that, hey, the Saints' offense is healthy and the defense has been improving. Um, and, you know, look, uh, you look at what they were able to do against Tom Brady, you know, forcing four straight three and outs against them, um, picking them off three times, sacking them several times. I mean, look, that's, that's the type of defense that we were expecting all season long. And look, even if it's taken, you know, eight games for him to get to that point, and I guess that's okay because, you know, obviously it's not how you start, it's how you finish. But look, again, so much is made about uh, the Brady versus Breeze narratives and all these different types of things and how, you know, 
Breeze hasn't had but what three top ten defenses in his career, and he's had to do things up by himself and put the team on his back, right? And so there's a lot to it and a lot more layers. But again, you look at the way they won, how they won, and again, it's an NFC South rival, right? And everybody was was picking Tampa Bay and uh, thought that this was going to be their year, but. You know, you look at that game, the Saints are in the driver's seat now. They're real well in control of their own destiny and the way the back half of the schedule shapes out. They uh, they definitely got to be some of the favorites to, to look at that top seed in the NFC. John Hendricks, our guest, ESPN1420.com. He is the Saints reporter and writer over at Saints News with Sports Illustrated. John, in a game like that where, you know, a few blemishes here and there, right, the, tur- the two turnovers, outside of that, there wasn't, I mean, there, were, there weren't really many negative plays either. Um, what, what do you pick coming out of a game? And, I, you know, I, I read your article on Monday about the Saints sending their clear message showing out in primetime. But if, if you can only pick one thing that stood out above the rest, right, that was most impressive, hard to pick one, Sean, but, uh, but just give me one. what. What to you is top of the list of most impressive in your mind? It's got to be the defense. I mean, you know, again, that's 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 – period in the story for me just because you know again you look at the busted coverages the blown assignments the the penalties all these different factors that that have gone through and you know look coming into this game they knew they had to get after Tom Brady right and I mean that's the way you you always get after Tom Brady is you disrupt him you have to force him off his game disrupt his timing and again that sounds so cliche because yeah you want to do that with every quarterback but you know, a lot of the quarterbacks that come in, especially the way the, the NFL has matured over the years, a lot of teams want to get that ball out quickly against the Saints or just be able to throw things in the flats and stuff. So for me, defensively being able to play a very disciplined game for the most part and just being able to go out there and pretty much impose their will. I mean, the Bucks ran it whole five times, you know, they and it's really four because they knelt on the final play of the game. So, look, again, you, much was made about – you know, the Saints defense is going to get lit up and all these other different things. And for them to allow less than 200 total net yards against, you know, a team that was so praised for so many weapons and all this other good stuff, look, they 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 have to be, you know, get the MVP style or the game balls or whatever. That's That's got to be the biggest takeaway here. John J. Hendricks, our guest, ESPN1420.com. This is the great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. John, how, how do we convince – Marshawn Lattimore that, um, you know, whoever is going to be playing for the Niners at receiver, how do we convince him that Trent Taylor or, or Richie James just did something terrible or said something awful about him? I mean, most people probably have never even heard of Trent Taylor or Richie James, but that's how beat up the Niners are right now. But how can we convince him that those guys just hate him or disrespected him? Uh, I, you know, look, I, I think there's, there's something to it. Maybe they you know, go water boy and tell them to visualize an attack and pretend it's Marshall. I mean, Mike Evans, <laughs> whatever there, it but, takes, but, you know, again, <laughs> that's, I'm sure they'll have to find a way to make it, make it work. Um, and, and you know, again, I, I think with Lattimore having the type of game he had, it helps boost his confidence, obviously, but you know, again, we want to make sure that he doesn't come out and regress a little bit and, Obviously, depending on who the Saints play against the quarterback, you know, they're going to throw their shots. They're going to try to target against him and throw against him. But, you know, for Lattimore, he's still got a lot of season to go. He's still got a lot of opponents that are, are going to be favorable and be asked of him. But against the 49ers, maybe you say and scream, say, oh, this is a trap game for him or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, again, hopefully he's 
he's in his prime form. He could talk his mouth, but now you got to go out there and, and prove it again next week. Short, and, short memory, 24 hour rule, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I think for Saints fans, I mean, on Monday I was told, hey, you know, it's just one game and the big thing, the game's history. I'm like, yeah, but if you're a fan, you don't have to be a player. You could take a little bit longer and uh, and enjoy that one. Now, I to your point, John, I think coming off of a win like that, inevitably there is a a sense of an emotional letdown, no matter how hard you fight against it. But you're catching the Niners at a good time. I mean, they are just so beat up right now between Kittle and Garoppolo and Debo Samuel and Tevin Coleman and Brandon Ayak and Kendrick Bourne and Trent Williams. I mean. In terms of injuries from an offensive standpoint, they are, you know, and, and look, I didn't even mention, you know, D Ford or Solomon Thomas or Richard Sherman or, or Boson, the guys that have been out for a while. Um, but from just a, a personnel standpoint, the Niners might be the most beat up team in the NFL right now. And then you had, you know, you're going to get some of those guys back because I know some of them missed last week's game because of COVID-19 stuff, but I think the Saints, you're not going to see the level of play that perhaps we saw Sunday night. But I also think you're getting the Niners at a good time on the schedule. You would have looked at the schedule at the beginning of the season and thought, oosh, man, that's that stretch right there. And now it, it, it just feels like the schedule's coming at the perfect time to play them. Yeah, look, and let's not forget what happened last year. I mean, again, you don't you don't want to think that, hey, that's something that they're going to have at the forefront of their minds, but I think so because they came in and – absolutely, you know, shocked the Saints in that, that wild game. And, um, you know, obviously has different dynamics to it. But, you know, don't put it past Sean Payton to, to bring out that film and show some things. And you got Emmanuel Sanders now on that team. And you got Quan Alexander that's likely going to play in this game. So, obviously, there's a, I don't want to say revenge factor, because, I mean, Sanders and, and Alexander, they were on a, a Super Bowl team, you know, if you will. But, um, you know, I think New Orleans, when it comes into it, you know, having getting to play again, hopefully and presumably in front of fans, I think that's obviously going to help them too. But right now, they're like I said, they're in the driver's seat, and you know, it's it's unfortunate that they have to deal with the injuries they have to. But you know, I remember the Saints teams having to deal with the injuries too, and you know, nobody tried to make excuses really for them. Um, they still were expected. They still battled hard. So I expect the same from San Francisco, and obviously, Scott, you know. <laughs> as well as I do, the old NFC West days, there's a lot of um, history between the Saints and 49ers when they used to play in the same division. And stuff. So, again, there's a lot of different angles you can work here. Um, but I, I still think the Saints will put their best foot forward. I don't think they're going to be looking past this this game. I mean, it's an NFC opponent. Um, you're wanting to keep pace with Green Bay, Seattle, and, and the conference, try to get that number one seed that everybody's chasing. So, you got to you got to put your best foot forward and come out with all uh, firing on all cylinders. Saints lead writer and reporter for Saints News at Sports Illustrated, John Hendricks is our guest at John J Hendricks on Twitter. If you want to give him a follow, that's Hendricks H E N D R I X, uh, not uh, not C K S O N as in Trey Hendrickson. Who this guy's this guy's making himself a lot of money this season, isn't he? Yeah, it seems like it, right? I mean, look. Uh, <laughs> It's crazy for him to get back-to-back sacks on plays, but he had three straight, and the only reason he didn't have three straight is because one of them got wiped away by uh, a questionable holding penalty by C.J. Gardner-Johnson. So, look, this guy is, is just hitting another level. I mean, he's 25 years old. He turned 25 in, uh, in December. So, look, I, I again, you don't talk a lot about him. Maybe guys like Alex Anzalone, the guys that were in that 2017 draft as much. But, look – Seven and a half sacks right now. I mean, this is 
this is uh, something crazy. And, uh, again, you know, we all thought Marcus Davenport would be that guy, but Hendrickson has stepped up in a big way. And, you know, look, there's still a lot of football left to be played, and Davenport's looked good, too. I mean, it's returning. But, you know, um, when you look at the, the overall uh, – how they were made to play for Clowney and all this other stuff when the Saints come to it, I mean, Hendrickson has really stepped up. And, and I mean, goodness, it, it, he's third in the league in sacks. That's, that's pretty much all you have to say. Only behind Miles Garrett and Aaron Donald. That's wild, man. What a stat. What a stat. Um, Davenport, you, you mentioned him. Just when he's in the lineup, it, it, stats aside, I mean, you can look at his individual stats, but what does he do to that defense when he's out there? Yeah, look, I mean, it, that's the terror. And, you know, again, it's, it reminds me of Cam Jordan because I know Cam Jordan – took a lot of flack as a first rounder uh, early on in his career, just because he just wasn't doing what everybody thought he was. And he's one guy that got helped out a lot by analytics. And, you know, again, we, we talk about the air yards and how stupid that, that is sometimes. Right. But analytics look good. And when you look at Davenport and you look at even what Cam's George, Cam's, Cam's doing right now, it's may not show up in the sack column or total, but that doesn't mean that he's not playing well and not doing what he's paid to do. Right. And so Davenport coming in and he's, you know, that interception that David Onyemata got, he, he was a heads up play. You know, Kim Jordan talked about it after the game that they knew Brady liked to with his release, like to go high and Davenport was anticipating. And obviously he was able to get that tip ball and it falls into the hand of a defensive lineman. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely a good, uh, good heads up play for him. And so, Again, you can't be upset there. So I think um, all things considered, you know, Davenport's one of those guys that's just really coming on and he's getting healthier as the season progresses. And, you know, Saints are going to be smart with that because they need him for all 16 games plus playoffs. ESPN1420.com. I'm Scott Freed. The Great Scott Show, joined right now by John Hendricks, lead Saints writer reporter for Saints News over at Sports Illustrated. <laughs> Um, John, the the uh, the offensive line of the Saints, I think, were fantastic. Maybe their best game of the season uh, Sunday night against Tampa Bay against that front four. Brees had plenty of time, but as a whole, you know, I know Ruiz is kind of subbed out a little bit with Nick Easton. They've been back and forth, and um, and and you've got some guys that missed a little bit of time. I mean, Armstead had to leave a game, and there was an impact. But I, are they the most slept-on unit on this team right now in terms of how they've played this season for the most part? Yeah, look, I mean, you, you look at what they've been able to do. It's, it's, um, it's, it's been a little bit of everything. And, you know, I asked Sean Payton about it after the game because it looked like, you know, Ruiz started a game and then they rolled in uh, Ryan Ram. I'm sorry, excuse me, they rolled in Nick Easton and kind of looked like they might have been rotating a little bit. So maybe there's some things there and obviously got to look more at that film and all that good stuff. But, you know, look, I, I think uh, they, they've kept Breeze upright for the most part. And, uh, again, they've looked good on it. Uh, they're opening holes. They're just basically keeping keeping things moving, right? And we knew what it was going to be with Ryan Ramchick. That's no surprise. It's uh, For me, I think it's, it's Andres Pete. You know, again, this guy has been getting – you know, flax all season since since he's been here, right? And the Saints made a questionable move that a lot of people thought about getting him to a big contract, but they see the potential. And look, I mean, anytime you don't talk about him and um, and what what he's not doing, it's a good thing, right? And so I think Pete's one of those guys that have been quietly uh, looking better. And then you know what you got in Teron Armstead and Eric McCoy's solid in the interior. And so look, between Ruiz and Easton, they're getting the job done, but. 
very underrated, very uh, instrumental in this team's success on offense, especially something that gets overlooked without them having Thomas and Sanders for those stretch that they did. And so, I, again, I think they're very underrated. But, you know, uh, again, you, you talk about them and the defense. They're not household names, but that's really one of the reasons why they don't get a lot of praise. John, you know, going back to the defense for a moment, something I meant to bring up a minute ago, hearing you talk about contracts and for for a moment there, Saints fans, I think, didn't think about the, the cap situation next year. They're just completely uh, focused on the moment at hand, and that happens when you win a game like the one you won Sunday night. But um, how fortunate were the Saints to not sign Jadavion Clowney? Uh, you know, look, hindsight twenty twenty, right? I mean, obviously, he's not fitting in with Tennessee, and, you know, Vic Beasley didn't either, right? And, and again, I, I would say – I don't know if you can directly say that it's the same if he was to land with New Orleans because I think Ryan Nielsen's a fantastic defensive line coach. Probably doesn't get a lot of praise, but, you know, that Saints defensive line is, is, is eaten, right? And uh, when you get guys like Trey Hendrickson stepping up to the plate, when you get production and guys that are undrafted rookies like Malcolm Roach making the team and, and Shy Tuttle and then they're maximizing them, I mean, you can't help but notice that that's also good coaching. So, whether they're not getting the max from Clowney and him having the issues with his knees and such, um, you know, that's unfortunate too. But, look, uh, sometimes, you know, the things that are things that they miss out on are, are a blessing in disguise. So the comparison is going to be made. I mean, Trey Hendrickson, again, seven and a half sacks. Clowney, how, how many, you know, he's pretty much on the play. So um, you, you can't help but look at that. And so it, maybe it was, would have paid off. It's hard to say, but, you know, with what they have, uh, it certainly fueled Hendrickson in the contract season, and hopefully it continues. Good stuff. ESPN1420.com. So where do they go from here, John? I know we talked a little bit about the Niners game this Sunday. They got Atlanta after that at Denver, at Atlanta, at Philly. Chiefs, Vikings on Christmas, then at Carolina. Obviously, it's the COVID season, so anything could be altered or changed at this point. But that's what the Saints are looking at right now. With the win Sunday night, we I said on this show going into it, look, this is this is a game for a, a home playoff game. I mean, this is the division I felt like, and I still feel that way coming off of that. But where 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 are the Saints going to be when all is said and done? When you look at the NFC as a whole in Green Bay and Seattle, one, two, three, where do you see this thing ending come January 3rd whenever they get ready for the playoffs? Well, look, I mean, you know, it's it's favorable, right? And, again, when you looked at the first part of the, the schedule and when it released and you saw everything that shaped out before all the COVID madness, I mean, the 49ers were supposed to be a great team and Minnesota was supposed to be a great team. Atlanta was supposed to be better than what they are, right? And Philly, they've had their struggles too, and they're just, I mean, forgive my friends, they're just playing crap like crap right now and in, uh, in, in a horrible division. And so, again, it shapes up for the Saints, you know, and – uh, even Denver, a team that's it's just kind of Jekyll and Hyde right now. It's tough to figure them out. And, you know, again, it shapes up for the Saints to make a run. Um, you know, before the season, I felt good about 11 wins, maybe a 12-win ceiling. Um, but now it, it's potential to do 13. You know, 12, 12, I think, will get you in the top three uh, in the NFC wild card race. But they got to chase that one seed. 13 is not out of the question. Again, that's giving them another loss, you know, whether that's week 17 in Carolina or just one of those games that come up. But, you know, it's always going to be about winning the division first and foremost. 
and and I feel like they've got the best ch- chance to do that and be the only team to four peat in the in the division um, since it's been created. So again, the sky's the limit right now, but of course they have to stay healthy and they have to keep playing good football. But after what we saw against the Buccaneers, I feel pretty good about that. Great stuff, John J. Hendricks has been our guest. John, I appreciate it, man. Uh, at John J. Hendricks on Twitter. If you guys want to give him a follow, if you're not already, he is the lead writer and reporter for Saints News over at Sports Illustrated. John, final question. Did you uh, did you play video games when you were younger? What was your, your go-to sports game if you did? <laughs> oh, man, I'm a Nintendo guy. Uh, I would play Atari, so it was always Tecmo Bowl and Tecmo Super Bowl. Absolutely. I remember playing uh, at one of my uncle's house, the electric football, if you can remember that. Oh, I do. I do. Electric <laughs> well, football was yeah, awful. I know for some but... like, what are you talking about? So, <laughs> definitely Google. But no, I'm no, we're a we're... Super Bowl guy. I love playing those types of games. And, you know, uh, growing up, we got the Maddens, obviously, on Super Nintendo. Those were always fun. So I always love those. But Tecmo Super Bowl will always be something I could play every single day and just enjoy it every single time. I mean, Tecmo Super Bowl is the greatest video game of all time. I mean, I don't even care. And I, and I play lots question. of games. I mean, it is... When it came out and suddenly you went from the, you know, only playoff teams to every team in the league, rosters with backups, and it, it like, this came out in December of 91, and it kept stats. Like, folks, th- th- you know, if you're young, you might think, oh, that's not a big deal. Let me tell you something, bro. In, in, in the early 90s, that was a very, very big deal. And they had some sequels that came out that were awful, like, most people don't remember Tecmo Super Bowl two or three or stuff like that. They had one on the PlayStation in '96, but they what they did wrong is they started trying to mimic some of the other games that EA was doing, and it just wasn't as good. It's like, nope, you had it right when it was just that simple eight play. The fact that you could change the plays as well. I mean, the difference between the the first Tecmo Bowl and the second. But, I mean, bro, I mean, you know, whether it be QB 12, which was Randall Cunningham, or, or for that matter, Jim Kelly, or QB 19, which was Bernie Kosar, and then for the rest of the game, it was the actual players. It was just, um, God, I mean, I, I, I'll play it today. I mean, if somebody has it, I will get on there, get the Saints, because I'm a sucker, you know, hand it to Dalton Hilliard, maybe Hayward, you know, bring Gil Finnerty off the bench, you know, throw him a little pass here or there, go deep to Eric Martin, hook up with Hobie Brenner. And then the fact that you had the defense on there and, um, and just rolled with, with some of the original Dome Patrol members, it just it doesn't get better than that, right? Yeah, look, and uh, I always was one of those that I love going. You could build your own AFC and NFC squad too, right? And so you could go in and sub people yeah, out. Yeah, the Pro Bo Jackson was a beast on that game. I remember many times playing with the Raiders and just because they had him, them, uh, Marcus Allen, Tim Brown. And look, I think one of the most fun things too is the fact that it would, you could play a full season on it. You could play the playoffs and, you know, it would save you progress, which is crazy when you think about it. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, that's the standard for games, right? No, back then it was one of those days we had built-in memory, save it. and You know, look, it was, uh, it was a fun game, and I know that it's, it's, it has a real cult following. And, you know, I even remember playing, like, there was a version where they tried to keep up with all the rosters, right? But, you know, nothing will ever defeat QB Eagles or QB Bills or anything like that. And it was a big thing because that was the game that had all the licensing from the NFL, too, because a lot of games came out and they'd have to use off-brand team names or creative names and players' likenesses and all this other stuff. So it's absolutely uh, 
refreshing. And I'll tell you, if you don't have it, um, go get you an NES Classic or get one for Christmas because that is all replayability um, for sure. And it's just pretty relatively cheap. Yeah, man, it, it's it's the best. And really, it, it set a precedent. I mean, because you've got, like, at the time, there were only 28 teams in the league. But having the actual teams, expanded rosters, expanded playbook, which you could which you could change, build your own NFC, AFC Pro Bowl rosters, mm-hmm. check the stats, which also included NFL records, by the way, in the game, and all kind of other different things. It really set a foundation for what the medium of NFL video games was going to be. Um, and, you know, it just, they've, they've never been the same since. It's the best. Anyway, I, um, I remember a Family Guy episode where Peter just got Bo Jackson so he could, you know, beat Quagmire and take my Super Bowl. So it has its place in uh, in pop culture as well. I appreciate it, John. Um, somehow I knew you were going to answer with Tecmo Super Bowl, and then we just started rambling. But I won't apologize because it's, you know, the best game ever. So thanks for that. Hey, no problem, man. I uh, I got to go pick it up so I can go play it too. See? It's, it's, it's nothing but nostalgia and some people will just never understand, you know, with the way things are with Madden and stuff now. <laughs> it was the best, man. Uh, Saints lead writer and reporter John J. Hendricks has been our guest at John J. Hendricks on Twitter. Uh, Saints lead reporter for Saints News at Sports Illustrated. Appreciate the time, John, man. I'm sure we'll talk to you a little bit later on this season, my friend. All right, bud. Thanks. Appreciate Thank you. having me.